Well, today we continue in our series in the book of Philippians, and last week we said that the theme for this book and for this series comes from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, which says, uh, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so we're talking about in this series, what do citizens of heaven do? How do we live as citizens of heaven? That's what we're talking about. Last week, we saw that citizens of heaven partner together in the gospel in local churches. And today, we're going to see that citizens of heaven can have joy in the face of trials because of the gospel. Um, The Apostle Paul was writing this letter from prison. And that can seem maybe kind of unrelatable. Like, at the very least, my hope for you is that you wouldn't be in prison anytime soon, all right? Um, So hopefully you can't relate to Paul um, in a literal sense. But isn't it true that at times life can actually feel like a prison? Isn't it true that at times you can be trapped in difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstances that you can't get out of, that you can't escape. Isn't that true? Maybe the difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstance has something to do with a relationship in your life. Maybe if you're a student in the room, uh, your parents are fighting and you're in a home where that's taking place and there's really nothing you can do about it and maybe what you feel like your role is is to just kind of stay out of it. But you still feel trapped, like you're in prison. Maybe there's a relational conflict that you've got, maybe in a marriage that you're experiencing. Maybe there's a friendship where you've wronged someone and it feels like there's nothing you could do to fix it, or maybe someone's wronged you and it feels like there's no way that it could be restored. And so you feel trapped in that sense. It's difficult, it's unwanted, maybe it's even unfair. Maybe there's a financial situation that makes you feel like you're in prison. Because of all of the debt that you've got, and maybe it was a stupid decision, or maybe it was a a season of, of just decisions, because of all of this debt, you feel trapped, like you're in prison. It's difficult, it's unfair, it's unwanted. Maybe it's a health situation. Because of something that your loved one is going through, because your parents are aging, maybe because of an illness that you have, you feel trapped. It's difficult, it's unfair, it's unwanted. Maybe the COVID restrictions and mandates and new variants and new anxieties just continue to compound onto all the other things that you've got going on and that makes you feel trapped. I was thinking about my daughter earlier. Um, Just for the last couple weeks, she's been struggling when we go to drop her off in the nursery downstairs. And I thought, even a 16-month-old knows what it's like to feel like she's in prison. (laughs) Difficult, unfair, unwanted. Now, we have wonderful preschool ministry, all right? But but in her little mind, it's like, what in the world are these people doing to me? So you can be 16 months old and know what what it feels like 
to be trapped in a difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstance. Today, we're going to see how it's possible to have joy in the midst of those things. And what I love about the Christian faith and what I love, love about what Paul says is he doesn't try to sugarcoat it for us. He doesn't say, well, you know, these problems really aren't that big of a deal. Get over it. The pain you're feeling, that's eh, not a big deal. He doesn't do that. Christianity does not belittle pain. Instead, Christianity provides a resource, though, that makes it possible to endure prison with joy. And that's what we're going to see today. How is that possible? Paul says in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters... So he's talking to brothers and sisters. This little phrase appears several times throughout this gospel or throughout this letter. Um, it's in verse 14 again. It's in chapter three, verse one, chapter three, verse 13, verse 17 of chapter three, chapter four, verse one, chapter four, verse eight. I mean, he's using this little phrase over and over. And this is a little phrase that reminds us of the gospel. That we've got this new identity that we talked about last week. Because of the gospel, these church people that I associate with are actually my family. And so he's writing to his family here. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know. And by saying, I want you to know, he's saying that what I'm about to tell you is different than you might think. See, what's normal when you go through difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstances, what's normal when you're in prison is to be questioning God, to be blaming others and feeling sorry for yourself, to be jealous and bitter towards other people and towards the world. That's what's normal. But he says, I want you to know what's coming next is different. I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. And then jump down to verse 18, and he says, And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. The theme for this little section, verses 12 through 20, I think is in verses 18 right there. Verse 18, kind of in 19. That even in the midst of this circumstance, what has happened to me, this imprisonment, I'm still rejoicing because of the gospel, he says. And I will continue to rejoice, he says. He says that even though I'm in prison, there's something about the gospel that continues to advance. And the word advance here means that it's moving forward despite the resistance. It's actually like a military term, that they would send these people in to clear a path for the army. And in spite of the resistance, they were going to continue to advance. And he says, that's what the gospel is doing. The gospel is advancing, even though I'm in prison. You may have been tempted to think that once I got in jail, the money you had been sending me, wasted. You may have thought that once I got in jail, my ministry, over. 
You may have thought that once I got in jail, that all of this skill that the Lord had given me and all of this time I had spent studying so that I could preach the gospel was wasted because now I'm locked up. And Paul says, that is not the case. Even though I'm in prison, the gospel continues to advance and in that I rejoice, he says. He says in another place in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says this, I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Do you trust that God is powerful to work even in the face of opposition? Do you trust that God can continue to do his work even in circumstances that are not ideal? Is it possible that circumstances that are not ideal are actually more fertile ground for God to do his work? Paul has come to recognize that, that even in my imprisonment, even while I'm in prison, in this difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstance, the gospel continues to advance, and in this I rejoice, he says. And Paul was in prison unfairly. The reason that he was in in prison is not because he had broken any law. It's not because he was a criminal. It was simply because he was preaching Christ. And so he continues to rejoice. Paul can rejoice even while imprisoned because his joy is not in his circumstances, but in the gospel. And the gospel is a message that says, even when things look bad, God's purposes will still be accomplished. I mean, think about the message of the gospel for a minute. You can kill the Messiah, Jesus. You can nail him to a cross, but in doing so, you'll actually just further the purpose for which he came. You can kill the Messiah, but he will be raised from the dead. So there's no stopping this advancement. Paul can say the same thing about the Philippians. In verse six, he says, I'm sure of this. You remember this from last week? I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You can't stop this message. You can throw the messenger in prison, but even then, the message is not bound. In fact, when the messenger goes to jail, it actually continues to advance like wildfire. In the words of Obi-Wan Kenobi, (laughs) strike me down and I shall become even more powerful than you can possibly imagine. That's the gospel. Now, why is Paul rejoicing in the gospel? Why is the gospel, which is just the good news about Jesus's death and resurrection that has the power to save sinners, why is Paul rejoicing in that message? And I think the reason is because the gospel actually provides some tremendous perspective for people in prison. 
for people in difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstances. Here's what the gospel says. The gospel says that when you are in prison, God understands your pain. God is not a God who's aloof and distant and so highly exalted above the problems of the common man that he knows nothing of what it's like to be in prison. Instead, the gospel says, actually, when God looked and saw us trapped in a prison of darkness because of our own sin, what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus, to enter into that prison with us. He took on human flesh. So God doesn't abandon us in the prison cell. He's not unaware of what it's like to be in prison. Instead, he understands. Psalm 142 verse three says, though my spirit is weak within me, God, you know my way. You know what it's like. He's got boots on the ground. The gospel says God understands our pain. God understands what it's like to be in prison. The gospel, what else does the gospel teach us? The gospel says that prison is not permanent. The gospel says prison is not permanent. Jesus entered the prison cell of all. He was crucified for the sins of the world. He bore the wrath of God. You talk about experiencing a a difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstance. And yet, was that the end of Jesus' story? No, the gospel is the proclamation that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Prison is not permanent. Paul goes on to say the same thing. In just a minute, we'll get there. But he is confident that even though he's in prison, that is not his future. The same is true for you. Regardless of how dark the days get in this life for you, even if death is the end of the story for you, the gospel says that prison cell of death it will not have the last word. So the gospel provides tremendous perspective. It says, God understands what it's like where you are. That means you can cry out to him. The gospel says, your prison cell is not the end of the story for you. And the gospel says that prison can have a purpose. Prison can have a purpose. Now that is not a fun thought to dwell on initially. But it is a thought that can give you joy. It doesn't mean that for every difficult circumstance you go through that just wait long enough and you'll see a direct correlation to how, it's not what that means. It does mean, though, that God continues to work and advance even when we're in difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstances. Did the pain that Jesus endured in his life and his death have a purpose? Heck yeah, it did. 
Jesus was enduring the prison cell so that you could be saved. Pain can have a purpose. Paul is able to recognize that even while he's in prison, something about this prison cell is advancing the gospel. That's the purpose. And in this, he rejoices. What Paul is going to show us is that the gospel advances in our own lives, in the lives of non-Christians, and in the lives of Christians when we respond to our prison cell with joy. Let me say that again. This is, the, this is the whole point of the message. This is where we're going the rest of the time. What Paul is about to show us is that when we respond to our prison cell like citizens of heaven, when we respond to our prison cell with joy in the gospel, the gospel will continue to advance in our own lives, in the lives of non-Christians, and in the lives of Christians. Let me show you where I got that. First, Paul says that all of these circumstances are causing the gospel to advance in his own life. Now, this isn't the first thing he says. It's just the first thing that I'm showing you from what he says, all right? Look at verse 18. He says, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Here's verse 19. Because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. The word salvation here could refer to his deliverance from prison. The word salvation could be translated deliverance. It could mean that Paul is rejoicing because he knows eventually he's going to get out of prison in this life. And it seems that Paul did believe that he would be released. Um, in chapter 1, verse 25, he indicates that. In chapter 2, verse 24, he indicates that he believes he will get out of jail someday. But this word salvation, I think in this context, actually refers to the work that God is doing in his life to set him free from sin and make him more like Jesus. Salvation, the word salvation is to be delivered from something, to be set free from something, to be released from something, to be saved from something. And I think what he's saying that he's being saved from is his own flesh. And he's being made more like Jesus by going through this difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstance. The reason I think that is because of what he says later in chapter three. It's because of the context of what he's going to talk about uh, in just a minute, what Zeb is going to look at next week. Um, and then also because of what he says in Romans chapter five. Here's what he says in Romans chapter five, verse three. 
And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction, being in prison would certainly count, affliction produces endurance and and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Paul is picking up on something here that going through a difficult, unwanted, unfair circumstance actually causes you to deepen your relationship with the Lord if you respond in faith. And in this, he's rejoicing. All of these trials and events that he's experiencing will result in him becoming more like Jesus. Isn't it true that when you look back on the hardest seasons of your life, that it's often in those seasons that you experience the most growth, that you experience more of the Lord because of the difficult, unfair, unwanted thing that you're going through. Paul's saying he can rejoice because the gospel is is advancing in his own life because of this difficult, unfair circumstance. And there are two things that are helping bring this salvation into his life. He says, the prayers of the Philippians are doing that and the Holy Spirit is helping do that. Now that is a significant point. I don't know how all this works, but somehow when we pray for people, God uses those prayers to advance the gospel in our lives, to deliver us from sin in our lives, to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. And so he's already thanked them for their partnership. And we talked about how last week how partnership means praying. And now he's saying that this prayer you're doing for me is actually helping this happen. And the Holy Spirit is also helping make this happen. And then he tells us what his greatest ambition is throughout this trial, throughout this imprisonment, throughout this difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstance, here's what Paul is hoping for. Here's his ambition. Verse 20. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That's his goal. At all times and in all circumstances, Paul wants the joy of the gospel to drive him. And in that way, the gospel is advancing in his own life because of the prison. Paul says that these circumstances don't just advance the gospel in his own life, but also in the lives of non-Christians. Look at verse 13. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this is verse 12, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Here's what he's saying. 
Because the reason I'm in prison has nothing to do with me breaking a law or being a criminal. And that's the reason that most people are in jail. My imprisonment has actually stood out to people so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else. Explain what that means in just a second. That my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. People know that I'm in jail because I'm a Christian. And that is known, it says, throughout the whole imperial guard. The imperial guard refers to um, basically what would be like today, the modern secret service kind of. Um, these are, it was a group of nine to 12,000 of the best trained uh, men who would guard high-ranking Roman officials. And because Paul had appealed to Caesar, um, he's around these people. And so it becomes known throughout this whole distinguished group that Paul's a Christian. And because this is such an influential group, this eventually spreads to everyone else, meaning people in the city. And if I think Paul's probably writing this from his Roman imprisonment, uh, it's debated, he could be in Caesarea. Um, I think he's probably in Rome. But I want to be careful not to make too much of an interpretive decision based on that. But, um, but if he's in Rome, okay, and he's being guarded by this imperial guard, we know that while he was in Rome, lots of people would come visit him and he would continue to share his story with them. And while that's happening, suddenly he's saying everybody is learning about the prisoner who's a Christian. And for this reason, Paul can say in Philippians 4, when he's wrapping up this letter, he says, all the saints send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So the gospel becomes known to these super influential people. Why? Because Paul was in prison. Do you see how God uses circumstances that people meant for evil for good? And so Paul's character while he's in prison his patience, his perseverance, his kindness, his devotion, his joy, especially in the face of such trials, is something that people notice. Isn't that true? That when people go through difficult circumstances and they, and they respond with joy and faith, that you take note of that? In fact, Paul does not have to convince the Philippians of that dynamic. Because one of the members of the Philippian church is a guard who was responsible for watching Paul while he was in prison. Do you remember this story? So while Paul was in Philippi, he got put in jail there too. He's just always in jail, basically. Um, and so in Acts chapter 16, you can read about this story. Here's what happens. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Um, I forgot to mark this in my Bible. So uh, give me a second. Acts chapter, okay, about midnight. So he's in prison. About midnight, Paul and his friend Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. You notice that? So Paul's in this prison cell and all the other prisoners are listening. Why? Because he's worshiping at midnight. 
And they're not listening in the sense that they're like annoyed, like, hey, could you keep it down in the stall next to me? I'm trying to get some sleep here. Instead, they're like intrigued. Why are those two guys in such good mood, in, in such a good mood in prison? And the reason that was confusing to them is because that's not how they were responding to prison. And so they're intrigued. Goes on. Suddenly, mid-chorus, verse 26, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. And you would think that this was God's divine moment to escape the jail. He didn't deserve to be in jail. He's only there because he's a Christian. Now there's an earthquake. The doors fly open. We better escape. This is your moment. Lose yourself in the, the music. You only get one shot. And so he thinks that he, you know, you think that he would do that. Verse 27, so when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. And if they escape on his watch, he's gonna to have to die anyway. He might as well save his family some dignity by killing himself. Why did he think that they had escaped? Because if you were in jail, if I was in jail, then the average prisoner in jail, there's an earthquake, the doors are open, we're escaping. Paul was able in the midst of his difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstances to think about the needs of someone else ahead of his own. And so for that reason, he stayed. Look at what he says in verse 28. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. Who stayed in prison? Not just Paul and Silas, but the other prisoners too. You know why? Because when you worship, people watch. When you rejoice in the midst of prison, other people notice. That's how you gain influence in people's lives. And so these other prisoners who are not Christians before this moment are like, hmm, we'll stick around too. So the doors are open, but we're gonna stay? Yeah. Why? Because it'll be better for that guard who's sleeping. Okay. Verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They've been preaching the gospel. That's why they're in prison. Now he's interested. They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They go and they join the church that night. So that jailer who became a Christian watching Paul in prison is reading this letter in Philippians where Paul is saying, even in my imprisonment, the gospel is advancing. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And he's going, that makes total sense to me. And the rest of the church is rejoicing too because they know when people who are citizens of heaven, when people who are filled with the Holy Spirit go through difficult circumstances, and we can trust Paul in this, when they do this, man, it is gonna be such an opportunity for the gospel to spread. What if the same is true in your life? 
What if one of the ways in which you gain influence with a watching world is simply going through difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstances with joy, not that's rooted in what's actually happening in your life, but joy that's in the gospel? This is convicting for me because Paul can rejoice in prison and I struggle to rejoice in a mask. But what if rejoicing in prison is actually something that gains influence with the world? So not only can the gospel advance in our own lives when we're in prison, and not only can the gospel advance in the lives of non-Christians, but also in the lives of Christians. Look at verse 14. Most of the brothers, talking, it could be brothers and sisters talking about other Christians, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. So they've gained confidence in the Lord. That is, their faith in the gospel was strengthened by watching Paul in prison. Isn't that true? And not only was their faith strengthened, but they gained courage to speak the word. The little phrase, speak the word, um, in verse 15 is preach Christ. In verse 16 is preach the gospel. In verse 17 and 18, proclaim Christ. These are all synonyms. He's saying, now that they're watching me in prison, they have more courage to speak the gospel themselves. It has emboldened them. Not everything is perfect, though, Paul says. Look at verse 15 through 18. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Verse 16. These preach out of love, those with goodwill, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17, the others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. Paul says, so everybody's preaching the gospel more, but it's not all perfect, all right? Uh, You got some people who preach out of good motives. That is, man, now that I'm in prison, they realize somebody's got to step up and they've got to go out and, and preach the gospel in my absence, and that's awesome. They're doing it out of love. Others preach out of bad motives. That is, before they were jealous that I had such a big platform and that I was a big deal and that everybody wanted to hear from Paul. But now that I'm in prison, they're like, well, this is my chance to build my own platform. And so now they're preaching on their own. And now they're building an audience for themselves. And while that is not a good motive, at least they're still preaching the true gospel. If these people that he was talking about were preaching a false gospel, that is that Jesus is not God's son or Jesus had not been raised from the dead or Jesus's death isn't actually um, sufficient to cover the, the sins of people, then Paul would not be rejoicing. But 
even though these guys just have bad motives, Paul says in verse 18, what does it matter? What difference does it make? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I think there's a helpful, important principle that we need to take from this little section here. And that is this, that we can celebrate the good of something without pretending that everything is perfect. We can celebrate the good of something without pretending that everything is perfect. Today is the 75th anniversary of Highlands Community Church. Did you know that? At least, yeah, that's cool. And we can celebrate the good that God has done through our church for 75 years without pretending that we're perfect here or that we haven't also made some mistakes here, that we haven't also sinned here. And I think we need to have a category for that. Throughout the month of October, we're gonna share some stories of some of the things that God has done in the life of our church over 75 years. And I'm excited for that. But us celebrating that is not diminishing that, yeah, we've also screwed up a lot. We can rejoice in the good that God has done without saying, well, because there's also things that are hard, we can't even celebrate the good. And that's not just true for our church. I think that's true for life. That's true for ministry as a whole. There are preachers who preach a lot differently than me. And I can celebrate that the gospel is being preached without having to criticize those who would do it differently than me and without having to copy those who would do it differently than me. I can celebrate in the rejoicing of the gospel advancing. I can celebrate that the gospel goes forward. We can do the same thing with other churches. There are other gospel preaching churches that do things differently than us. We can celebrate that they are proclaiming the gospel without feeling the need to copy them or criticize them. Paul is not ignoring reality by rejoicing. Paul is simply recognizing that there is an even greater reality. The gospel is advancing. It's advancing in his life, it's advancing in the lives of non-Christians, and it's advancing in the lives of Christians. Praise God, in this we rejoice. Do you feel like you're in prison this morning? Do you feel like there's a difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstance that you are trapped in? Remember the gospel. 
the gospel says that God understands our pain. Pain is not permanent. And pain can have a purpose. We're going to end today by rejoicing. We're going to rejoice by singing this song. The first line says, this world is not my home. It's all I've ever known, but it's not my home. When you feel bound in your difficult, unfair, unwanted circumstances, when you feel bound in a prison, remember the gospel that says you are actually bound for glory. You are chained. You are fixed to a future that is unshakable, not because of how great you are, or based on anything you've done, but based on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. You are bound for glory. That does not erase the difficult circumstances. It does not diminish the pain. It does not say, well, cheer up because, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It does not do that. Instead, though, it says there is a future for you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that he stepped into a prison cell so that we could go free. God, I pray that you would lift our spirits this morning, that you would help us rejoice, not because of our circumstances, but because of the gospel, the good news of what your son Jesus has done for us. I pray that you'd help us to live like citizens of heaven. Give us wisdom to know how to do that and then the courage to do it. It's in Jesus' name that I ask, amen. Would you stand with us?